Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. <laughs> uh, let me see. So we're recording. Uh, I think smart people get bored. I mean, that not that what it is, Z? I think smart people do get bored. Like, it, I think most people get bored, but smart people get bored in a particular way because they use their smart neuroticism to escape from the present moment in any way they can. Mm, it's kind of like... It's kind of like we can't be happy. I'm somehow including myself in the smart people club. Well, you are. I think yeah. we've effectively started the podcast, don't you? Okay, let's roll. It's a rolling start. It's a rolling start. I, I think that because guys, like, hey, welcome to the show. It's the VPZD show. We're, back. We're at uh, Studio Z today, episode uh, nine hundred and ninety-nine. That's no, what I it is. I don't know. Thirty-one-ish. I don't know. And uh, and you know, VP was kind enough to drive down in all the traffic. There's a lot of traffic. I have nothing but regrets so far. A hundred percent. Like you've, you know, it's nothing but regrets. It's been just sadness. Like, and, and so we come here and you blew my ears out and we, and we both became deaf because they were <laughs> testing the fire alarms in my building here. And so it was like, bang, bang, bang for the last Gosh, it was terrible. hour it was or now, terrible. 30 minutes. We wanted to start. We had so much energy and excitement. It's and all gone. It sucked it out. And sucked then we were out. like, you know, so what, why, why is it that? People with you know high achievement status tend to get so bored. We were just kind of mulling this over. I think you have to have like I don't know. For me, it's always like you get bored with some project. You have to have new projects. Yep, variety is important. Yep, um, it's doing it, different it, things. It, yeah, it's funny. I was talking. I just interviewed a guy, Alex uh, Oshmyansky. Smart guy. He's a real smart guy. Like was graduated college at eighteen. Russian or Ukrainian guy and was such you can't a make that mistake you again. Never do that. <laughs> never make that mistake. Never do that. Never. And uh he um <laughs> he he got a PhD in mathematics and <laughs> all this crazy stuff. <clears throat> You've got COVID <clears throat> again. again. No, I can't get it. No, I no. I don't. I just have a little bit of a lingering. Yeah, I know. Lingering Dude, I got cough. my kids are sick. Bronchospasm. I like that. That's from always the, my go-to. From all the running I do. That's, which is, there's some truth to that, actually. Actually, there is, Especially yeah. in the cold air here. It causes immediate, yeah. Immediate bronchospasm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and by cold, we mean 57 degrees. Exactly. Yeah, uh, with a frigid cold. With 60% humidity. Exactly. Wait, so you're saying this. You, so this you, guy, so uh, Ukrainian, Alex and I were 18 talking. 18-year-old, he graduated 18 college. 18-year-old gets a PhD out of Oxford in mathematics, has already done two companies working with Mark Cuban to transform the whole uh, pharmacy benefit yes. manager, generic drug thing. Cost plus now. Cost plus, yes, yeah. the Cuban thing. And um, he and I were talking and he's like, you know, he-, he I don't know if I'm giving anything away, but he's just like, you know, it feels like sometimes you're doing these things energetically to try to avoid the existential dread of just being, mm. <laughs> of just being That's alive. That's how he views it? That's well, it. I don't- I, But, I, but I, you view it that way too a little bit? I think what it is, is <clears throat> we are so conditioned to avoid embracing the reality that the present moment is this radiant beauty of mystery mm -hmm. that we can't wrap our heads around. And so we're always distracting into projects and doing instead of just being. Mm. which is fine until it generates suffering. And I think at some point it starts to generate suffering. Now, I don't think it's generating suffering for Alex. Like he's so driven and is doing so much stuff and it, it, it's really working. But for me, at some point it started generating suffering. And then I just started being more and doing less, which looks for all intents and purposes, like a lazy piece of shit. <laughs> like people say, what do you do 
today. And I was like, well, I sat in silence for three hours and then I watched a video on You're you know, No Self. Man. And no, no, I wish, man. I'm, I'm not that enlightened. But I guess for me, I would say what I meant by that is we were talking before and we were trying to figure out like, what are we going to talk about? And to be honest, I think it's been maybe a slow few weeks, yeah. like news cycle weeks. Which is good. Which is good and yeah, yeah good, good, for, and bad. good for society. Right. Yeah, probably. bad for us. <laughs> Although there's, you know, UFOs coming down. From, oh, right. right. And okay, but we didn't, we're, obviously that's yeah. outside of our pay grade. Yeah, yeah. Uh, although I should talk to that guy um, that Harvard astronomy chair I had on my show a couple months ago, Avi Loeb, oh. who talked about the comet. I wonder what his thoughts should are. Should talk about that, the green comet? The, um, what was it? It was like, it's like shaped like a, like a needle or something. Oh, that one. Yeah. And it was like a, he thought it called it a solar flare because it accelerates when it hits up the sun. Anyway, uh, whatever. It was yeah. a, it was a throwaway and not a throwaway. It was just a random episode of plenary session because I was really interested in some of his broader thoughts on science and science when you go against the grain. And that was really sort of why I brought him on. Uh -huh. um, but he's particularly eloquent. But to your point, for me, it's like, when people tell me the same ideas like 25 times, I get really bored. I mean, yeah. I, for me, it's like, I'm really interested in new ideas. Yeah. New ideas, new topics, new things to study. Yeah. And uh, recently, you know, people we have like brainstorming sessions in our research team and some people are pitching ideas. And I felt like I might've been too critical because I shot some down. But I shot them down for the reason basically because I don't think we would invest a tremendous amount of energy to like look into something. And at the end of the day, we would be saying something that like most people already believe and has been said like a thousand times. Yeah. And I'm like, that's not our role in life to, you know, N and I, no new ideas. And yet, and so and so this is what what, what you'll see on <coughs> on Twitter yeah. is people, physicians and others bloviating about bloviating. stuff that is like the New England Journal of Duh, or they're saying something that's that seems so obvious, but they're missing some of the subtlety in it that makes it really on you. So you could talk about something like um, oh. this situation where people will bitch and moan about private equity taking over- Or prior auth. Or prior auth. Or like, let's equity. talk about prior- Let's do the prior, prior auth. auth. Okay. So, so many, every doctor will complain- You are a master. Look how you do these connections. You know what? The it's, listener don't, he doesn't even know. People say, I, I tell people I just sit and meditate all day, but really I'm just practicing. He's practicing. Yeah. It's like Chuck Norris. He doesn't sleep. He waits. It's like an episode <laughs> of Curb Your Enthusiasm. There's an outline sketch- but it's all improv. Yeah. Yeah, it's like Curb. That's how it has to be. You're like Larry David. Yeah, and not, you're also bald. But, <laughs> see, there it is. Both of them. By the way, you've been harshing on bald people a lot on the Sensible Medicine podcast, which I have to promote here. Um, me and Adam Sifu are, are follicularly challenged. <laughs> And you keep bringing up this dichotomy of like, okay, at what point do you decide hair or no hair? Do you just shave it all off? And this is a very- This, this is, a, is a classic, <laughs> it's a classic philosophy thing where, okay, basically it's like, um, when does a difference in degree become a difference in kind? That's, yes. the, that's the question. Yes. So then the, then the, the you know, the, the tongue in cheek kind of thing is, you know, we all can tell the difference between having hair and being bald, but uh, <laughs> at what point do you cross the Rubicon? I mean, there is a moment where the hairline is receding. Look, it's receding for all of us and myself included. You know, the hairline's going back, mm. it's thinning. Mm -hmm. And at one moment, you know, that's when people are gonna look at you and be like, that's that's a bald person. That's a bald person. Yeah. You know, what's funny is my wife said that basically to me at age 25, but I remained <laughs> in, in denial. In denial for 10 in years. In denial for a good 12, 12, 13 years until I moved to Vegas and I, I shaved it off as an act of just, I give up, I surrender. And you surrender to the sun because you got scorched. That's also true. And then you know what started happening in Las Vegas? I started getting actinic keratosis on my on my big Persian nose. You really nose. did? Yeah, because I would just go out without sunscreen because I'm an idiot and thinking I'm brown. I'm not brown enough, bro. Yeah. And uh, I got served, man. I had to brown, go to the dermatologist. Not brown enough. Get, not, you know what? That is a autobiography. It's like the unauthorized autobiography of Zubin, Zubin Demania. Not, <laughs> not brown, brown enough. enough. The unauthorized biography 
<laughs> written by Vinay Prasad. <laughs> <laughs> it's an autobiography, but written by Vinay. Written by Vinay. So yeah. I have a ghostwriter for my own autobiography. I think many people do. I think they do. Okay, yeah. we're back to the prior. Okay, oh, yeah, yeah. so there's a Harvard professor, Michael Barnett. I like him. He's a thoughtful guy. Mm. And he recently said, you know, Twitter is one of the things Twitter is, is of course, pictures of your cat. You know, I don't, I don't know. All these <laughs> trivialities things. But one thing it is, is maybe 3% of medical Twitter, doctors complaining about prior auth. Yes. And, you know, my heart's with them because I hate doing it. I hate it, it. I hate it. I hate it. I've done videos <laughs> on it. Yep. It sucks. You know, it sucks. It's a, and, and you know, what is the purpose? The purpose is not to actually vet the medical decision. I think that's the pseudo purpose. The purpose is to make your life a little bit difficult. So like, you know, like when you touch the stove, you get burned, you're less likely to touch the stove. Right. It's just classical conditioning. Yeah. You know, just conditioning you to not order these things in the future. We're in a Skinner box. Yeah, basically. Basically, yeah. basically mm -hmm. it's, shot, it's jolting you. Yes. And the jolt is having to talk to a nitwit about why I want to get a PET scan. A non-clinician or right. worse yet, a clinician. Yeah, who doesn't know anything. Who just has given it all up. Yeah, right. they're right. just like, oh, I'm just gonna do. <laughs> I mean, yeah, okay. Utilization so, management, yeah. You know, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, okay, so that's why people are frustrated by it. So I totally agree. It's frustrating. Yeah. But Michael Barnett said, you know, for all the, you know, he didn't say it this way, but for all the bitching and moaning about prior auth, we must also acknowledge there are a lot of doctors practicing outright quackery. Yes. Right. And it made me think of a few things. One, you know, he really has a point. Like why does anybody make any effort to try to curtail the behavior of doctors? And if you'd have a doctor say, we should be able to prescribe and do whatever we want, carte blanche, uh, and the insurance company should just pay for it. And the problem with that is that there's obviously some, People who will abuse the system, they're the outlier on the standard distribution of ordering the test or ordering the service. They're crazy. <clears throat> I mean, it makes no sense to be ordering like PET scans Q-Day. Um, and, you know, there has to be some system to curtail them. At the same time, the other thing I got to say, people just do not understand how insurance marketplaces work. I think this is one fundamental misconception doctors don't get. Mm. The insurance company is making hand over fist money, no yeah. doubt about it. Yeah. But the Affordable Care Act regulated the amount of profit they can make on revenue. Yes, which okay. made it which, interesting. Yes, which yes. made it interesting. So they cap profit on revenue. Mm -hmm. Tesla is not capped on profit on revenue. Many companies are not capped on profit on revenue, but insurance companies are. And so what it means is 20% can be profit, no more, not 21%, 20% of all the spending that you put out on healthcare. So the moment you tell big healthcare, health insurance company, you can only get 20% of this pie what do they want to do to the pie? <laughs> make it bigger. We're going to go, to, yeah, exactly, make it bigger. Make We're going to go to dinner or order pizza. <clears throat> Z can only eat one fifth of the pizza. What size am I going to order, Z? Extra large. And so actually, then the last thought, the insurance company's goal is to grow healthcare spending over time. Uh, it's not to reduce healthcare spending. The more trillions we spend in healthcare, the more money they're going to get. At the same time, why do they do prior auth? They have a short-term goal, which is to buffer year-to-year -year volatility. Yes. To ensure that year-to-year our premiums are not rising disproportionate to our competitors yes. so that we're not at a competitive disadvantage. But our goal is actually not to curb long-term costs. They don't have that in, They don't have that skin in the game. So all this said, we can come back to Michael Barnett's point, which is that two things are true. They are making it a headache to do you know, these things. Uh, and some of those things are making a headache to do are necessary. And at the same time, there are a lot of doctors out there prescribing a lot of wackadoodle stuff. Yeah, and I think, okay, so a lot of what you said is important for people to understand. The insurance companies are not really motivated to constrain costs in the longer term. Correct. And it's the same with pharmacy benefit managers who set prices of drugs. They are getting a piece of a negotiated discount right. that they get with the manufacturer. And so their goal is to create the highest list price possible right. and then create a discount so that they look like they're adding value. And then they keep a percentage of the discount. The bigger right. the discount, the bigger they get to keep. And it 
turns out the big insurance companies own the three big PBMs. PBMs. So anything that, it's like the left hand feeding the right hand, stealing from the right and ultimately enriching itself. And who's going to suffer? It's the employers that are paying the the bills and patients, particularly patients (coughs) who are underinsured with high deductible plans or otherwise. Now, so that's the incentive structure there. But there's another purported role, like you said, of the prior auth, which is to reduce care variation that's unexplained. Sure. So this idea that this guy over here is ordering 20 MRIs sure. and this guy's ordering none. He's right. doing a clinical exam and their outcomes are actually improved for the person who's doing less. Right. If you were to actually or measure. Or indistinguishable. Or indistinguishable. Sure. So we're wasting money. We're causing potential iatrogenic harm because now you find some incidental loma with the study you're doing and you have to go chase it. And, and I know lots of docs like this that cause all kinds of harm and they think they're doing really good work because they're doing something. Right. When doing nothing or less or actually doing something by sitting and talking right. to the patient right. would have been better. So, but but the system isn't really incentivized to decrease unexplained care variation unless you're like an HMO and you're trying to control costs and that kind of thing, or you're a system like Kaiser where you, you really don't want that kind of thing to happen because you do want to save uh, the money because you're the insurer right. and the So provider. Kaiser is a different skin in the game, right? Different skin in the game. So it's all a question of incentives. And I do think it's important for doctors to understand that the prior auth is done poorly. Okay, that's fine. But actually reducing unexplained care variation is, and this is a passion of yours in, in, in a deep sense in yes. that you're saying a lot of what we do has no evidence and shouldn't be done and actually causes harm, whether it's <clears throat> screening, whether it's chemotherapeutics, yeah. right. whatever. And so if we actually study it and then we say, okay, so now how do we enforce the not doing of that? That, that becomes the question. And like, let me unpack that a little bit more. People will say, okay, you don't have evidence. Doesn't mean it doesn't work. And I was like, yeah, okay, that's true by logic. But we have done a number of large-scale investigations where we've looked at the testing of established medical practice. When you take something that's sacrosanct, that's being done for a decade, that's established, that's part of the canon that we're all doing, and you subject that to very rigorous critical appraisal, like a randomized control trial or cluster randomized trial, typically when no one has ever done that type of study before, or you do that study, but the difference is you use a better control, so use a sham control for a sort of subjective endpoint, or you have better power or better blinding or better design. When you do those studies on sacrosanct medical practices, how often do you contradict them? How often do you validate? That's about 40% contradiction, 40% validation, 20% really further inconclusive. Further stuff. inconclusive. So, That's actually a big deal. Yeah, it's a big deal. Yeah. So when we talk about healthcare spending, trillions of dollars in healthcare spending, at least two trillion at a federal level, and we think about of that two trillion, you know, some of it is rock solid evidence-based, right? maybe 10 or 15%. Hmm. And some of it is rock solid has already been contradicted by the best available evidence, maybe 5%. And a huge chunk of it is uncertain. Unsolved. And if you put that unsolved stuff up to rigorous appraisal, I would not be surprised if as much as 40% is found to be lacking. And so what that means is when you have a huge chunk of unknown medical services and you toss in variation, the person on the tail of the curve just doing a ton of something that's unproven, it's very unlikely that they're actually like, you know, Semmelweis, and it's much more likely that they're actually just, you know, some quack, you know, it's really just much more likely. And so I do think there's a logic to try to curb, you know, extreme deviation from standard practice in the setting of uncertainty. There's also a logic to run clinical studies. Oh, so here's the thing. If insurers had incentive in long run finances, they would run randomized control trials in that space. Yeah. The two reasons they don't. One, if I run the trial and you're the other insurer, you can steal my answer. Totally, yeah. 
<clears throat> so that's one reason they don't. Okay, that's a problem. But maybe there are ways around that problem. That's an easier problem. But then the other reason they don't is they have no skin in the game of long haul. That's right. You know, incentive because the average uh, member in an insurance company is two years. So if they do mm. something long haul, they're not even getting the benefit of it. That's true. And, and also they have no incentive to cut healthcare spending in the long run anyway. So right. grow so the, the pie, grow the yeah. pie. So two reasons not. A couple things you said I want to double back on. You said, well, that outlier on the tail curve, is it, 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 it's very unlikely it's a Semmelweis. <laughs> yes, Semmelweis. Exactly. So just for people who don't know who Semmelweis is, yeah. he was this guy back in the 1800s, 1700s, who realized that, hey, if you wash your hands, you, you reduce the risk of pregnancy-related sepsis by dr dramatically. And he was like basically laughed into and, insanity. And you wash your hands after doing autopsies. Yes, autopsies. Right, right. so they you, they're autopsy. alternating between autopsy and delivery. And delivering a birth. Which is a very odd That's sort of- That's right, that's right. It's so, odd medical practice. So he went against, <laughs> and a lot of the doctors culturally resisted him because they said, we can't be responsible for these women's deaths. That can't be possible. So yeah, you're right. The vast majority of them are just quackity quack quack. And maybe not even quacks, they're just not smart. <laughs> and they don't know, and they're doing something that feels validating because they're doing something to people. Um, you know, Ro Robbie Pearl used to run uh, <laughs> Kaiser, Northern California, et cetera. He, he gives the example of this group of cardiothoracic surgeons in Northern Cali who were mm -hmm. doing bypass after bypass after bypass after bypass. And it was found to be just totally unnecessary, right. but they they really believed they were doing good. Right. Because, and anecdotally, they see the patient get better because the patient was gonna get better anyways. The methamphetamine of being a doctor is believing you're helping somebody yes. and a little bit of financial reimbursement. Oh, and you pair a, those two. It's like crack. Yeah, it's like, crack and meth. Yeah, it's like breaking bad. Breaking worse. Breaking bad. You're Walter and I'm Jesse. Oh, I've always wanted to be Walter because I'm bald. We're going, <laughs> again, going back, back once again, once again. <laughs> not to steer, not to typecast you. And, you, and you've got a leather jacket just like Jesse would have like worn. Jesse, right. Oh man, that's good. Just like you're the spitting image of a Brian Cranston. Dude, and I would image. wear tidy whities in the desert. Oh yeah. <laughs> the minute you give me a chance, I'll stand in front of an RV with a gun in my tidy whities just like. And did you know that Brian Cranston and um, I forget what's the name of the actor who plays Jesse? Oh, I don't remember his name. Shit. But they have um, their own mescal. <gasps> they have a tequila? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> have, <laughs> that's so awesome. They have a mezcal. I would buy that. Aren't all tequilas mezcals, but not all mezcals are tequila. I have no idea, well, but got, I love it. I love it already. Well, that is What's in the cup? Uh, <laughs> he has no idea he was drinking tequila. No, 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 no comment. No comment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> it's, so, so, so we were saying about, oh yeah, yeah. So, oh, okay. so, so this idea of prior off, <clears throat> it's not as simple as. Yeah, and I guess, I mean, there's a big picture theme here, which is that, you know, some people, particularly on Twitter, it's like, everyone wants it to be Star Wars. You know, Darth Vader is, you know. The bad guy. Insurance company, Darth Vader is the PBM. Darth Vader is private equity. Pri it's, yeah, private equity, yeah. sure, we'll come to that. And then, and then uh, you know, we're, doctors are all Lukes, you know, doctors are all Skywalkers. And the truth is everyone is gray. Yeah. I mean, everyone is gray, with the exception of the CDC there, I'll show you. <laughs> We'll come to that too. We'll come to that. But, yeah, um, yeah. On and, Twitter, and, nothing and the, is great. Yeah. But I mean, uh, yes, of course, the individual doctors probably, I tend to say, are you know higher up there in terms of the ethic and and sort of the discipline. But you know, it's not it's not perfect, and there's no, a lot of outliers. Certainly not. And these entities and companies, I think, are lower. I think they're more uh, problematic. But they're not problematic because they you know 
they're they're a product of a system. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and in fact, their their motivation is problematic because of the, the system <clears throat> profit-based motive. But then right. the question becomes, so what about a Stanford or a UCSF or a uh, Sutter Health or one of these big healthcare conglomerates, Intermountain or whatever, that buys up practices, <coughs> consolidates practices? And that's the thing. Like people say that like, oh, you know, Stanford's like doing the Lord's work, but look what they're doing. They're swallowing up healthcare Absolutely. practices. So this is another debate that came out recently, which is private equity. What is private equity? It's like investors who buy up typically doctor-owned practices right. um, that were historically owned by doctors. And doctors historically, um, probably on the margin, I think people do believe that if faced with sort of the maximization of profit or doing something right for somebody, a doctor is much more likely to say, you know what, we're gonna take a hit today and we're gonna right, do the right do thing. do the right thing, yeah. And the private equity comes in and they're you know solely focused on profit maximization. Except that kind of narrative actually misses some points, which sometimes doctors um, mismanage businesses. Yeah, oh, actually, sometimes. Sometimes, yeah. yeah. And they're running it into the ground. Many times. And by yeah. running it into the ground, actually, they're hurting care because they're not providing maximal services. So in a few situations, private equity can actually resuscitate the practice and actually improve outcomes. Um, but the truth is, everyone is to some degree gray in this picture. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not all black and white. I, I think that's the I think that's the point we want to make. We're not saying, oh, private equity is good and should buy up all the practices. We're not saying what we're saying no, is it's, it's dark never, gray. It's dark gray. <laughs> it's never dark quite gray. what you think in a simplistic way. And if somebody's trying to simplify it, it means okay, that it's a teaching tool to simplify something. But the truth is it doesn't do us really justice. Like if it's Twitter or somewhere, there's like, everything's bad, private equity's bad. Any doctor who sells out to private equity is a, is a loser. It's like, well, okay, wait, 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 hold on. You don't know the situation of, of that every, person's of practice. every doctor. Right. Like they know, could be struggling on. to pay the bills. They could be pushed by the big, like <laughs> the Kaiser or the UCSF or the Stanford that's pushing on them. And the only way they can survive is to join together with other practices. Independent practices <laughs> have been pushed out of business for years and years and years by all these forces. So it's not as simple as that. Yeah. If you want to fix that problem, you have to wave a magic wand and either socialize medicine or you have to uh, change like the, the the structures of payment to say, oh, you actually have to do good in the world to actually do well financially. That would so be, somehow that's align the key. those things. Align that's those, the key. And that's a very, you know, arduous health policy question. Yeah. But then last thing, you know, the private equity firm is viewed as evil, but what some of these universities are doing Cleveland Clinic mm. swallowing up. I mean, these places. Yeah, are, oh yeah, you, Pittsburgh, the Pitt, the conglomerate of Pitt. Oh, it's huge. It's a yeah. five billion dollar enterprise. Yeah, they are swallowing up entire regions, creating monopolies. That's right. Inflating prices, <laughs> and uh, oh, they have the courage to drop out of the U.S. News and World Report rankings. You I see saw that? that. Yeah, but you know what ranking they ain't never dropping out of the hospital rankings. Yes, because that's where the money is. That's where the money is, and yeah. they're like, oh, we're number one in the Northeast. Mm -hmm. And like the ranking is based on like- Total, yeah. Total garbage. Total garbage. Total garbage. Total How many garbage. robots you have doing yeah. something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like show me the validation of any of those measures <laughs> that they're using to rank these hospitals. Yeah, it's like a metric of how much unproven medicine you're offering. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. Yeah. What's funny too is when they start consolidating all this, like let's say Stanford consolidates a bunch of clinics all around. They have no real ability to decrease care variation in the short term. So you could have a bunch of really shitty doctors right. and really good doctors working side by side under the same name of the imprimatur of a Stanford or a UCSF or a Harvard or whatever. I think that that's absolutely one side of the coin of why that's so bad. But to me, it's like particularly bad because the other side of the coin, which is like historically, what is Stanford meant? Stanford was an institution of higher learning. Right. And their focus was not- uh, Higher earning. Higher earning, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it was a place of debate and scholarship and discovery. And now many of these universities, they're not, we can't even just single out one, 
I mean, they're doing two things. One, they're prostituting themselves to the companies mm. and they just have all these partnerships. And, Absolutely. And, and they realize that like uh, Baydola is a good way and IP spinoff is a good way to make money. So they're doing all this massive investments in IP spinoff and then just buying up practices. And at the end of the day, the mission to like scholarship and advancing knowledge, that's so far back. Mm -hmm. It's like number, teaching people to be good doctors, that's like number 72 on the list yeah. of priorities. And advancing real knowledge mm. um, in sort of a in sort of a platonic sense of mm. knowledge, that's like seventy one. And like maximizing earnings, running a company, having a spin off, you know, getting an IP, you know, that's all their top priorities. And getting donors to give us more money, and they've forgotten their whole purpose. And then they're being supplanted because they don't want to do the role of have hosting debates. They're being supplanted by, to some degree, us on this podcast. Yeah, which is depressing. Depressing. Yeah. S Sensible Medicine, our spinoff. Our um, spinoff podcast of, our, uh, of the Sensible Medicine uh, uh, substack. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because we are now the platform for debate, which, not, not Stanford, which Sensible is, Medicine. Which is, I mean, and these 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 <laughs> universities have huge endowments. They have lots of people giving them money because they had- Tens a, of billions. I mean, and so they can't, they still can't, they can't do this. It's all become this dogmatic <laughs> kind of thing. Like on, well, actually, you know, the debate, we have debate within the parameters of, okay, you got to do this. <laughs> By the way, did I, so my daughter, this is related, but unrelated. Okay, that's the best. There's a, uh, uh, they have to take- <laughs> It's public school, California. Mm -hmm. They have to do a required. I'm so sorry. No, freshman, <laughs> yes, it is. It is difficult. Public, Although I'm a public school, school product, yeah, and I too. fiercely advocate for and public a Michigan school. State product, which is a sad week for us. Sad week. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, that sucks. Um, mm -hmm. The the they have to take a they have to do a um, ethnic studies class in freshman year of, of high do. school. Mm -hmm. Like we never had that. No. And I, I looked at- What does that mean exactly? I, oh, well, so this is, I didn't know. So I asked my daughter, cause she was stressed cause they had this big test and she has to write all these essays. And I'm like, how much time are you spending on ethnic studies? Oh, X. And how much time are you spending on math, science, English, history? Why? <laughs> well, 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 but, but the ethnic studies is interesting to her because she finds it as a logic game. Like, wait, so what is this power dynamic? Like, what are we learning? And what, I, what is ethnic studies? So ethnic studies really, yeah. used to be when yeah. I was in, in the nineties, no. it was like, it was kind of like social studies about diff, you know, different races and things. Now it's like, here are all the reasons why white men are horrible. And the power structure explains everything in life. Mm -hmm. And looking at for all the sources <clears throat> of discrimination and power differential throughout society. And to some extent that's really fascinating and interesting. But when I looked at the actual agenda, I was like, this is like an indoctrination. No, really. This it is really, like, yeah. It's almost a conservative trope to say this is what it's they're teaching. It's a conservative trope. But, but is this really what they're teaching? But it's really what they're teaching. Uh, like, and I was, and, and my wife <clears throat> and I are both relatively yeah, pro progressive uh, types. Sure. Well, I mean, I'm liber well, more libertarian. Alt-middle. Alt-middle, alt-middle. Yeah. I, and, but my wife is pretty more, you know, classic old school liberal. And she's looking at this going, you know, this is indoctrination. <laughs> really? She <laughs> yeah. felt it? And, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, what saved it though, was that their teacher who is a white male um, is actually very tongue in cheek about the whole thing oh. and actually really <clears throat> enjoys the debate that happens. And my daughter actually feels intellectually stimulated by, by the thinking debate. about the kind of topics that are brought up. Like, oh, I never thought about how advertising can actually cement a gender role, like something like that. And you're like, well, okay, that's interesting. <clears throat> like you can think about that. But then you look at kind of the, the thing and you're just like, holy crap, this is exactly like the parody that you think conservatives are saying about, right. you know, what is it, uh, uh, critical race theory or whatever. Right. I don't even know what that is. Um, so I thought it was interesting that, and that, but then now that's just high school. Now imagine what higher education is like. Well, I mean, you can say like a medical curriculum. Yeah. Well, one, it was always plagued by a distraction, which was like 
rote memorization of useless basic science. Yeah. That was a historical distraction. Yep. Now it's been augmented by the additional distraction yep. that you're alluding to, yep. which is an incessant focus on these issues. And actually the part of the curriculum that I wonder if they ever get, how do you actually take care of someone who's sick? <laughs> That's what I really wonder. Where are they learning that part? And I just had somebody text me. He's like, another grand rounds on, um, you know, uh, the topic of equity, which is important. Which is important. But yeah. it was like the seventh grand rounds on that. And he's like, you know, when are we going to get a grand rounds about like heart failure <laughs> the, or like the, lung disease? So, lung so that's the thing. That's what I was looking at my daughter and she was spending so much of her weekend working on ethnic studies essays because she actually did enjoy the intellectual challenge of it. But I was like, but wait now, <coughs> you've got also geometry and you've got this and you've got this and you've got this. You don't need to know the squares. And none of that matters because Pythagoras. in the brave new world, what matters is Useless. how do you understand the power hierarchy uh, and where uh, there's some degree of bias and so on. Now, what, what was interesting, I'll say this, is we got to have great pro and con discussions with my 15 year old daughter about these issues that were brought up in her class. Like she's like, well, they're saying this about this and this discrimination. And I said, well, have you, can you think of alternate explanations for why that outcome that you're blaming on this might be? And then let's see what you think it might be. And then we would have these really good discussions. So that was interesting. But um, so I'm actually not in the sort of conservative knee jerk, like don't teach, don't it. teach it. It's more- But it's an opportunity cost. It's coming at the expense of- It's an opportunity of... cost. So where do you put it in the context? It's just like everything we talk about with private equity, prior auth, all of it is intertwined in a big web. And we see it as some black and white zero sum game, but it's not, it's all part of this vibrating reality. So how do we actually find the balance? And it means you have to have open dialogue. You have to have debate. You have to have some dissent. Yeah. Uh, and it has to be tolerated, not just tolerated, it has to be encouraged. But I keep, I keep bringing this back to medicine because to some degree, you know, it's all, it's a very difficult question for me to think about what should middle school teach kids? Because yeah. I, I haven't thought a lot about that. It's, it's, and, it's a tough and, question. And they're going into a million different things in life. Yeah. So what is the core things we want people to know? I think probably be able to pay your taxes and like, you know, practice home economics. You know. But they don't learn that. <clears throat> yeah, well, like, yeah I mean, but that'd be great. Uh, yeah, understand civics, understand history, right, right, you know, be right. able to pay your taxes, do some basic math. Uh, do they need to know, I don't know, calculus and second derivatives and things like that. I don't know. And that's maybe, maybe, I mean, I was happy to learn it because I was into those sorts of things. Right. Um, knowledge for the sake of knowledge. Um, right. But in medicine, I know they have a purpose, which is they sometimes have to care for people. And with that goal in mind, I think that what they cover and what they're not getting is, is tremendous. Like I can't, I can't tell you how many times I ask people, I think one of the, the core things a doctor has to do in addition to caring for people is there's new information hitting the doctor every day of the week. New drug, new pill, new device, masking, not this, you know? How do you look at a, how do you look at a piece of newspaper report or study and figure out is it total bullshit yeah. or totally trustworthy? Yeah. And that skill I think is critical appraisal. And, you know, I just think they're not good at it. Yeah. Like they're so not good at it. And so much of the maladies of COVID-19 were doctors on the internet who have no skill in critical appraisal, yeah. who substitute, because I, I just I can't even read the literature. I don't even know how to start. And so then they substitute the shortcut, which right. is politics, right. which is like, oh, Z is right. my liberal friend. That's right. And Z is masking really hard. That's right. So masking must be good. And that person I don't like doesn't mask. That's so right. That must be bad. That's right. Like you're either like the <clears throat> acolyte of the Eric Topol, <clears throat> Peter Hotez, or God. you're the acolyte of the Jay Bhattacharya <clears throat> or the whatever. And you just go with that. And it comes to do, to do with that intuitive 
personality, personality bias than. or political bias or moral. I, I always go back to moral foundation theory, John Hyde. It, it's like, what's your moral palette? What are your moral taste buds? What do you value? Once you know what you value, then you can see everything through the prism of that. And if you're not aware of it, then you seem to take that for reality instead of for, no, I'm seeing it through this value network. And, and I guess you know <clears throat> that you're a little bit removed from that is if sometime you agree with one side yes. or the other. That, although, although that said, Eric Topol is consistently bad at reading articles. And did you see what happened <laughs> yeah. to this week? I did. Oh, I saw that with the with the with the um, the the Paxlovid. Uh, there was a Paxlovid thing where, like, day one they had yes. this huge benefit. So explain that. Explain that. Day okay. zero. So I mean, because this, this was a great piece. We talked about it on Sensible. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's just a bit, bits of background. One, uh, the Biden administration decided to spend ten billion dollars on more on Paxlovid. The Biden administration is pushing Paxlovid like Skittles. Right. Another point to make is that I know and you know twenty to thirty year old people with no medical problems who've taken Paxlovid. Yeah, okay. it's insane. Insane. Okay, yeah. so they're very ultra. That's what I have in here, by right. the way. Just you would, yeah. Crushed up packs crushed of it. Crushed up packs of it. Mixed I'm snorting with, it. Mixed with mezcal. Or totally. Yeah, right. Okay. This is our breaking worse. Yeah. <laughs> breaking worse. <laughs> Jesse. <clears throat> so, okay, so Paxlovid, widely used even in ultra low populations. What's the yeah. evidence to support Paxlovid? A randomized control trial called Epic HR. Unvaccinated people yep. who did not, to their knowledge, have COVID. Yep. There's some seropositivity in the study, but people don't know if that's due to that particular illness or an antecedent illness. That's an asterisk, asterisk. Okay. Anyway, yeah. unvaccinated, never had COVID, and a risk factor for progression. Yep. Huge reduction in Paxlovid, reducing the risk of bad outcomes. Yep. 8% down to 2%. Paxlovid works if you're unvaccinated and have never had COVID. Yep. And older and frailer and vulnerable. Yep. yep. No doubt. Okay. What if you're vaccinated or multiply boosted and have had COVID before and or both mm -hmm. and are young? Mm -hmm. And then the answer is Epic SR, the randomized control trial is no. Failed to find a benefit. Epic pre-exposure prophylaxis. So Z has, after this show, I'm going to admit to Z, I'm actually coughing because <coughs> I have COVID-19. Of course. Uh, of course. Typical. I'm going, to, I'm going to admit to him. And then he's going to wonder, should he take packs of it as a pre-exposure prophylaxis? And then the answer to that is the that, that study, uh, Epic PEP, uh, was a negative study. Mm -hmm. Okay. And maybe it's a post-exposure prophylaxis study. Okay. Uh, and this wouldn't be pre because I've already coughed on you. Okay. Anyway. Correct. Okay. So that is... A negative study. Then there's a study that came out of the Canadian group, randomized trial of Paxlovid on people on the vent. That's also negative. Okay, so we have a lot of negative studies for Paxlovid. One positive study in this rare cohort of unvaccinated, never had COVID, which by the way, if you find me this unicorn, you know, go ahead and send me a note. On, yeah, know, right? they don't find, exist. Right, yeah. no, find me a unicorn, unvaccinated, or <laughs> never had COVID. Uh, all right, that's the group it works in. The UK is running a randomized control trial. Anyone over the age of 50. Uh, I think not, no, not one additional result. This is, this is the panoramic study. It will be the final verdict. Mm. There've been a number of observational groups that have published reports. Observational studies have a problem. Okay. So in the absence of randomization, people go down the hierarchy of medical evidence and they look for observational studies. Mm -hmm. So we compare people who got Paxlovid versus people who don't, who we think are otherwise similar. Mm. Now these studies have a big problem, which is who's more likely to get Paxlovid. People who are squeaky wheels. The squeaky wheel gets the grease. Yep. People who are entitled, people who are richer, people who are more motivated to twist the arm of a doctor, give them Paxlovid. Mm -hmm. There's all these cultural biases, all these socioeconomic biases around who's getting Paxlovid. Enter this fray. There was a study that was done by the Colorado investigators. I think it was even NIH funded. And I don't know why they funded this piece of trash. <laughs> and it was a study that looked in the Colorado database of people who got Paxlovid and people who didn't. And then they matched them as best they could. But one of the problems they had was they didn't even have, for the majority of people in the study, the date they initially tested positive because many people are testing at home. <laughs> so now they don't really have a, a, this is called a time zero problem. And time a, zero problem. It's yeah. a problem of observational studies that doesn't exist in randomization because in randomization, the moment you randomize is time zero. You anchor that for everybody the same. Yeah. But in observational studies, you have to look backwards in time and try to figure out when is the time, when should I have the start time match up? Yeah. And it's hard to know in retrospect. Yeah. So anyway, they did this study. 
And one of the quirks of it was that the difference in hospitalization and death was seen immediately, like on day zero, within hours of quote unquote taking Paxlovid, you were already less likely to be hospitalized. And the bulk of the difference all occurred in the first day. Now, <laughs> either Paxlovid is so good. So good. When the moment you give me the script, I already start to get better. Yes. Even before they I even, fill it. They haven't even gotten it yet. Yeah. yeah. Or you have immortal time in your study. What's immortal time? Immortal time is an artifact of retrospective or backwards looking studies where by definition, an event could not have occurred in one group, but could have occurred in the other group. Ah. So in this case, the Paxlovid group, you know, they had to at least do well enough on the outside of the hospital to time to time to get the Paxlovid until they get the Paxlovid. And if they're immediately hospitalized, then that could only happen to somebody who's not getting Paxlovid. Yes. Right. So they have immortal time and they also have immortal time because of the way they're, I don't want to get into it too much because they're imputing dates for people. They don't have test results in a way that guaranteed immortal time. Right. That imputation because they don't know when they tested positive. So they have to put that in artifactually and that actually builds in immortal time in their shitty study. Anyway, the bulk of the bottom line is when you look at a curve and they separate immediately for a drug that don't work immediately, you've got to wonder, this has got to be some bullshit data. And yet, you know who didn't wonder that? Eric Topol, because he proudly <laughs> tweeted it. And then a million people, and this was a rare instance where people who are critical of COVID restrictions, the people who are pro-COVID, they all tweeted him, this paper is total bullshit. And what did he do? Did he apologize? Did he admit that, hey, I didn't read it or I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about? No, he doubled down and he said, I am so right. And the reason it matters, like, why am I picking on this guy? Because I don't like to pick on people. Yeah. This guy might be the most quoted doctor in lay media outlets in the last five years. He's constantly quoted on every fucking issue. And on every issue, he doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. I have to say, <laughs> it's not just me. I'm on threads of people, of doctors. And they're like, this guy, he doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about at every issue. Long COVID, doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. This, he doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. He always just doesn't know. And so I'm like, why are they quoting him? And the answer is because he has like a, a well-curated Twitter feed. And these reporters are so shitty at their job, Z. I gotta say, they're so shitty. They don't even do the old-fashioned reporting. They look on Twitter, they follow accounts that tell them what they like to hear, and then when they want quotes, they 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 go and get those accounts. And you know what? Sometimes I'm quoted for the same reason they're, because they're shitty, because they see me on Twitter too. And I'm like, <laughs> so I'm happy to admit that that's probably why I'm disproportionately quoted as well, but not to the degree of Topol. Um, this is just shitty journalism, and by a guy who's not good at reading studies. Who's a cardiologist by training? And that's the other thing. People always throw out the allegation, like, you know, it's not his wheelhouse, not his wheelhouse. He rarely gets that thrown at him. Although he, this is really not his wheelhouse. I mean, uh, and that would be okay if he was good at reading studies, but proof he's not good at reading studies is he tweeted this out. That was obvious to a million people was, had immortal time in it. And in fact, it did have immortal time. I So I think, I think learning about this basic immortal time bias, <clears throat> it, it's remarkable that anyone could even do a study like that and get away with doing a study like that and think that it would have any value at all. Now, what's interesting about the reporter thing that I think is fascinating is you're right. I see it all the time. This is a regular cast of characters, depending on the particular political bent of the reporter, reporter or the, the press organization that they're working with. One interesting thing I see time and again, though, that I really have to say, I'm, I'm, it makes me giggle and, and be happy, is like San Francisco Chronicle or NPR will take a, a thing on, should we still be masking, right? Let's ask the experts. Let's ask the experts. And what they'll do is they'll ask like Bob Walker, who thinks we should mask until we all are in the grave and then put a mask on a dead body in the grave. Um, and I love Bob, like he's he's a friend. And then they'll ask actually Monica Gandhi. And my boss. And yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he's yeah, yeah, your yeah. boss. Okay, okay. And, and, and um, Monica. And what I love is they'll <clears throat> actually say, okay, Bob thinks this, mm -hmm. Monica thinks this. Mm -hmm. they're, they're all friends. Yeah. 
they have some disagreement on <clears throat> kind of how they might frame it and they put it all in the article. Okay, I'm with you. Yeah. I'm with you. But I'll add one little asterisk, which is I would love to see them do that with three guys from maintenance. And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Because the gap between doctors and professors and the people working in maintenance has never been bigger. In okay, my tell life. me about this. Okay, so. Yeah. <laughs> Where to start? Okay, one, I was walking to the hospital and then. Um, Uphill both ways in the snow. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Was like, and then, um, you know, the guard, the two guards sit next to each other, just like we're sitting next to the other. And one guard was like, oh, oh shit, shit, doctor, doctor. And, uh, <laughs> and he hands the box and he has a mask on his chin and the other guy's no mask. And he's like, oh, here's your mask, doctor. And I, you know, I take my shitty disposable mask and I go, yeah, okay, I'm put this on. I'm sure it's super important, this unproven thing we've gone on for three, three years. Yeah, okay. Let's really put this. <laughs> and then he's like, shit, doctor, doctor. And then, and then I was like, no, man, like, um, like, don't worry about that. Like, you know, I'm not, I'm not worried about, like he pulls his mask up. Like, he, yeah, he thinks yeah, cause he thinks he's, he's, he thinks he's worried gonna, about, I'm going to narc on him. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's anti-virtue signaling by having the mask off. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, he, I mean, he just wants to breathe comfortably and talk to his friend. Correct. Okay. And kind of do his job in case he gets called for some security. Things. He's got what we used to call common sense. Common sense. He's yeah, got common exactly. sense. He's right. trying to work. Okay. As he pulls his mask up and then the other guy, and then I was like, no, nah, man, like, it, I, you know, I don't care. It doesn't bother me. And then the other guy elbows him back real hard. And then he says a word I can't say. Uh, and then he says, see, doctor doesn't care, you know, you know, and, and I also didn't care about the word he said. So you know, yeah. I didn't care about that either. And I was like, yeah, doctor doesn't care. Okay. So then um, I was walking out and then like I make conversation with them <clears throat> and they're like, you know, um, the boss, the boss tells us we have to like, you know, pass these out. And he's like, but I got to tell you, like, I hate to do it. And I'm like, you know, and I'm like, uh, yeah, of course, because it's a pointless intervention at this point in time when zero prevalence is through the roof and you've either had your chance to be vaccinated or not. And then he was like, and his point was, he's like, I hate to do it because he's like, it doesn't make sense, man. He's like, nobody's doing it out there. Nobody is doing it. Okay, so that was my first experience. This guy's got more common sense than the administrators. More common sense than anybody and then, there. And then yeah. the second is, you know, I finally got off the list at a hospital I work at for a bike locker. Oh, and actually, nice. it was like the most excited I've ever been. That's like, huge in San Francisco. Yeah. I was more excited than promote. To be honest, I was more excited to get the you got the bike logger than you got promoted email. I, I really, feel you. I feel you. It's actually a big, it's a huge lifestyle. It's a huge benefit. lifestyle. Yeah. Because I can, I can ride my more expensive bike, That's which I was right. reluctant to ride, yep. which goes much faster. Yep. And, and it's more comfortable. It's more better. comfortable. Yeah. It keeps it dry. Yeah. Okay. So I got the bike locker, but I have to go get the key in maintenance. And this is a hospital, of course, mandatory masking, 100% masking, everyone's masking. And then I go down to maintenance and it was like, 20 guys. I'm like, oh God. And no one has a mask. No one has a mask. No one cares about masking. You know, there's like, come on in here. Oh yeah, there's a key. Hi doctor. And I'm like, this is, this is, this is correct. I mean, this, this is, is correct. This is correct. This is correct. This and is correct. People may be like saying, oh, but healthcare places should mask. You know, which doesn't. The United Kingdom threw away masks about a year ago in yeah. the hospitals. Yeah. It's delusional. I mean, can I just push on why it's dilute? Yeah, and is it Cochrane, uh, does this lead into the Cochrane mass study? <laughs> you want to go there? I guess- Or not, or no, just no, tell I mean, me why I, it's solutional. I guess the first point is, before we even talk about the evidence for masking, I mean, I think it's obvious that if you have a masking policy, you're not going to be able to make COVID go away forever. Because yeah. the proof of that is that- <laughs> <laughs> if you have eyes and ears, yeah. you heard it didn't go away. Okay, so it's around. Um, maybe at best, best case scenario, this is me putting on the hat of a masker, which is <laughs> putting on the mask of a masker, which is something I never want to do because they're deranged. <laughs> they're but, gross. Uh, 
I think the, the most optimistic scenario is it makes a modest difference. That's the best case scenario. Yeah. Okay, so you could argue to me, Z, you're like, okay, it's September of 2020. And you'll say like, look, there's no vaccine. There's no vaccine. And maybe, but the vaccine is coming, you know, like maybe it's coming. They're working on it. And like, if you get it now, it's going to like really fuck you up. But if you get it after the vaccine, I don't know, maybe, it'll be, maybe it won't be so bad, you know, or if you get exposed to it after the vaccine, maybe you won't even get it. I don't know. Right. So then you'd say like, look for now, like, we don't know. Just put it on, be a little safe, be a little cautious. Let's slow the spread now. Okay. I'd say, okay. You know, all right. I don't know. The data's shitty. I read that other day. Okay. Anyway, but I'd say it's logical, right? Mm -hmm. It's got the logic. Yeah. Someone's got common sense. Someone's got common sense. Yeah. Okay, now you get vaccinated and then the second dose. And then you start hearing about everyone getting breakthroughs. And then the third dose. And then there's just a mountain of breakthroughs. And then the fourth dose. Okay, and now you see every single human being on this planet, whether vaccinated or not, is going to get the virus. Okay, and now you tell me, and then when you get the virus after many doses of vaccine and because of the new strain, or for whatever reason, it's not as bad as it was in the, the yes, you sir. know, it's not Lombardi, okay? That's right. It's not Lombardi, you know, That's it's not right. Tehran. Okay, right. so now you look at the situation and you say, you know what, I'm gonna want you to wear this mask. It makes a modest difference in the time until you eventually get the virus, but it ain't gonna keep it at bay forever. Uh, it's inconvenient. You know, the logic is so different. I'm like, what the, what, what, Why? The, yeah. what, what the fuck do I care if I get in October or December or January or, or February? What does it matter? And that's the best case scenario. Yeah, that's the best that's case scenario. That's the best case scenario. scenario. The best case scenario. Right. So now I think it loses the logic because all these like articles in NPR were like, are you still masking? And it's like, yeah, I don't want to get the virus. I was like, but that's not the problem. You're going to get it. You're going to get it because you're not going to be able to tie that thing to your face forever. And it's going to, and every day on Twitter, even though I lived in a bunker, you know, it's like all these stories. It's like, even though I, every time my children came home, I made them stand in the yard and I hosed them down. And then we had to breathe in and out of this respirator. And I have all these boxes, these Corthy Rosenthal boxes around my, even though. I autoclaved my own infants to keep <laughs> oh. them, keep them. And, and, you know, after the, after the trial and I was acquitted <laughs> Somebody with good intent, I, I, I still came home coughing one day. <laughs> yeah, I still got yeah, COVID. I still got they COVID. They all end with, I still got I COVID. Still, yeah. The punchline is always <laughs> the same. The Mad Lib always ends the same. So I guess the, my first starting point is that the entire premise to delay the time until you meet the virus, best case scenario mask was doing, no longer makes sense after vaccination. It just doesn't make sense. Nothing is going to come in the future. There's not going to be Paxlovid 2.0 that works better. By the way, Paxlovid 1.0 probably doesn't even work that well. <laughs> That's the thing I didn't say about Paxlovid is that like the absolute risk and low risk populations yeah, it's, it's, is, like, is like fractions of 1%. Yeah. And to lower that is going to be... I'm pretty sure panoramic is going to hit futility, but we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Mulder and Pyravir hit futility. But anyway, mm. all right, the Cochrane thing. So enter this fray. Cochrane comes. This is too much talking. Not at all, dude. I'm like on for the ride because I haven't reviewed this. And uh, this is where I learned my my outrage from. I'm, I'm bored, but uh, no, I don't know. Yeah, you're bored of Cochrane? Bored. Bored of Co no, I yeah, guess. Don't talk about it. No, I'll talk, I'll talk about Cochrane. Yeah. I'll talk about Cochrane. Um, because it goes into CDC, right? Yeah, it goes into yeah. CDC. So then yeah. I realize I'm going to be talking for like seven minutes. No, keep going. But then Z is going to. But you know, no, no, I'm in like the zone. Okay, dude. okay. So this is it. You listen. You got to understand this, guys. Like <laughs> to sit and watch the master talk about this shit. The master. Is, it is like a special kind of joy, and I have a lot of actually people email me and they're like, "Dude, what's it like just?" talking to VP about the stuff that I want to ask him. And I'm like, it's fucking great. Oh, they do that? Because I actually yeah, I understand that. some medicine. So it's even better. Yeah. But like, yeah, no, no. So keep going. I always forget like- I'm gonna get comfortable. What the audience is. Okay. So yeah. one piece of background you should know is that the person who's in charge of uh, the Cochrane, so what is Cochrane? Cochrane is an organization that existed for hundreds of years that provides um, 
uh, uh, not, maybe not hundreds of years, maybe yeah, 50, a, 50 years. Aye, something like that. Yeah, it's it's relative, what, 50s, 1950s maybe? 40s? I think 70s. Okay, okay. Can somebody fact check Someone will fact check us, yeah. I, 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 and the more I think about it, I think it's 70s. So mm. I think actually 50 years. 50 years, Congress okay. has been around for a long time and it's like a premier name and evidence-based Pulling medicine. a little bit here, yeah. Just because our camera, there we go, there we go, there we go. Yeah, there it is. It's a premier name in evidence-based medicine and they put together systematic reviews. And- uh, they're hi historically known for being pretty fair and balanced using high-grade evidence and having, you know, pre-specified plans. So they're not picking and choosing things after the fact. They've all spelled out what, what they're going to do. Endpoints are specified in advance. Yeah. Pretty, pretty much the creme de la creme of systematic review. Mm -hmm. um, the person doing this is Tom Jefferson. Tom Jefferson is a reviewer based out of Rome. Uh, and he is claimed to fame is that he is the lead. Uh, he's the PI of the study on Tamiflu. So mm. in the wake of litigation, Roche Pharmaceutical Company had to release all these CSRs, clinical study reports. And these are individual reports for every participant on all of the randomized controlled trials of Tamiflu mm. and every time they're ever being seen in the clinic. Mm. So the stack of paper is like from the floor to like, you know, massive. the ceiling. It's massive, hundreds of thousands of pages. Tom Jefferson and his team went through every single CSR report and recoded it. So it said in the CSR report on January 15th, patient 125 had nausea. They're going to say, oh, again, nausea. And like, is it grade one, grade two? You know, they can put all this shit in. After doing all this work for all the Tamiflu trials, he reanalyzed the entire body of evidence. And what he found was that although Tamiflu governments had spent tens of billions of dollars stockpiling this drug for flu epidemics, Tamiflu had nearly no benefit. There was a reduction mm -hmm. in symptoms from five days to four days, but it was offset by more nausea on day one. Yeah, right. So it was really like shitty Tylenol. Yeah. And there's no proof that it reduced ICU, no proof it reduced vent, no proof it reduced mortality, no proof it reduced any of the things that they said it did. So this was like a bombshell. And this was reviewing the randomized control trial follow-up data of all these charts. It was actually like every time the person was on the study, yeah. they had a CSR, yeah. and then the company codes it, and then the company published the result. Right. But he recoded, he recoded it, it correctly. Yeah, correct. Right. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or at least impartially. Yeah. Yeah. And he did it for all of the studies. Wow. So it was kind of a- It's massive. And he did that under Cochrane's sort of auspices or- Yeah. Yeah. Uh, right. yeah. Or, uh, was it a Cochrane? I think, I think it was just a BMJ paper. BMJ, yeah. Mm -hmm. But I would say that in the field of like meta-research, mm. I, I don't want to understate like what an accomplishment it is. It was, it's, it's considered a very seminal- I don't, yeah. This is what the thing, like even doctors don't fully understand. When this piece dropped, it was hot. It was so hot that the implications have spillover effects on everything. The one implication was, should we actually make manufacturers produce CSRs for every single study mm. and do this for everything? Mm. Because if we were so misled about this- Imagine. What, imagine, yeah. imagine, yeah. you know? Anyway, okay, so, yeah. that's, so anyway, he does physical intervention barrier. He's now done some interviews where he says some really provocative shit. One, the initial report was gonna come out uh, in January of 2020, the year of the pandemic. And it was included in masks, but any physical inter intervention to slow the spread of any respiratory virus. So plexiglass shield and um, wearing eyeglasses this is a paper by Atla Fretheim. And all these things were included in the review. Mm -hmm. Masking of course is the thing that is most notable because um, it's proof that you voted for Biden. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it's a political badge. Yes. Anyway, so, but he's done these other things. The first thing he says is the January 2020 report actually was delayed by Cochrane and uh, until like October. And in the meantime, he believes it was delayed primarily so they could push masking uh, because it was actually pretty negative. Yeah. In the updated report, he includes all the randomized trials from COVID era, including Bangladesh, including the Denmark study. And the bottom line conclusion is that masking compared to no masking in the community had no benefit at all. Mm. Confidence interval goes from 0.74 to 1.42, which maybe we'll come to. Mm -hmm. 
healthcare workers, if they were N95 masking versus surgical mask, there was no proof that the addition of N95 masking had a benefit over surgical masking. Yeah, remarkable. So those were the two seminal findings. But the biggest finding was that community masking just doesn't work in pooled analysis of randomized control trials. Yeah. Under And the Cochrane stamp on it. Yeah. Big deal. Big deal. Big deal. So why then <coughs> would, when they asked Rochelle Wolensky, hey, how come you- The genius. Yeah. Why, why, and I think that's what they were talking about, but I forget yeah, exactly. Congressperson. Yeah. Like why, why were you, you know- she had a lot of shit to say. Yeah, what did she, she was say? in front of Congress. And um, yeah. one of the things the congressperson asked her, I don't know which one to do first. One of the things the congressperson asked her was like, why didn't you take the Cochrane report seriously? It shows that masks don't work. Yeah. And she was like, well, one of the limitations of Cochrane is that they only look at randomized control trials. And I was like, that's called a strength. Yeah, okay. that's a strength that's of a it. Strength. <laughs> they, they don't look at horse shit anecdotes in MMWR about hairdressers in Marin County that we look at. We look at stories and fables. We look at, actually, well, we, no, she should just say it. We look at public opinion polling data mm. from Democratic pollsters and they say that masks work. And so if the public opinion polling, they say politically masks are good for a brand and they help us get voters to the table. So masks do work for, you know, okay. Mm. So, okay, one thing she said was she disparaged Cochrane. She said it didn't look at other types of evidence. The thing she didn't say was that all those other types of evidence she would have liked them to include were incredibly low levels of evidence yeah. and so biased, you just can't make any sense of it. Can I say something? Yeah. <laughs> The kinds of evidence that she wanted them to look at as the head of the CDC are the types of evidence that they all discounted when the ivermectin gang uh, said- yeah, yeah, yeah. You <laughs> wanna come to the ivermectin point? Yeah, we might as well, because okay. listen, you and I both have talked about ivermectin- <clears throat> And shit on it. And shit on it. As because, it should be shit on Because it. the data is crap bad when you look at good quality data. Yeah. But what Walensky is saying is, look at that same crap quality data that supports masking. Right. And I mean, no. it's- and Paxlovid. And Paxlovid, same yeah. thing. Uh -huh. So the same people who would call horse dewormer yeah. on yeah. you know conservatives that are supporting right. this thing because it's their badge. It's their like, I voted for Trump badge. Right. Uh, they, the I voted for Biden badge is to do the same exact thing. Yeah. So it just shows again, the, 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 the we've lost our way when it comes to actual critical thinking science and evidence. So so what's your take? I mean, the confidence interval on ivermectin. Uh, so, yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah. Um, so one of the point you're he's, you're absolutely right in the sense that um, that people are happy to accept shitty evidence if it's for their thing. Yeah. Paxlovid and masks is the Dems. Right. Hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin is the Republicans. Right. Now, why did it have to segregate that way? I don't know. No. That's probably happenstance in our, but it just yeah. shows as a society, we're so fucking polarized yeah. that masking a toddler is a democratic platform point That's of view. Right. And giving ivermectin to somebody who's on the vent is a Republican. <laughs> I think both yeah, are ludicrous. True. They're both insane. Okay, they're both yeah. insane. They're both insane. Now, the ivermectin people are gonna come in the comments because- um, Because they're the most insane online on YouTube. Yeah, you they're think the most, that's the reason? They're the loudest on yeah. YouTube. Like, because the, the, the Democrats are kind of wussies when it comes to this stuff. They're not going to come on and and do that. They're, they're going to go on Twitter. They're too busy masking toddlers. <laughs> okay. All right. Exactly. All right. So then one of the points the mask people said was that the Cochrane Review of Masks, does. it's wrong to say it doesn't, it proves that it doesn't work. Right. The better way to say is that it couldn't prove that it does work, right. but that the point estimate is compatible with it working in a modest way. In other words- the confidence interval goes from 0.7 something, 0.74, mm -hmm. I think, to like 1.4. And 0.74 is a positive study. Right. And so yeah. if it were 0.74 is a positive study, yeah. and it's possible that if you did many, many, many more randomized control trials, the real point estimate would drift to like a 0.8. Right. That's what they're arguing. Right. Okay. So then I said, 
that's not the standard we use in medicine. Right. And to prove it's not the standard, I, I brought a figure and I said, this is the point estimate of all the masking studies. And I published this, I think, on Sensible. No, I think I published this on my blog, oh, right, my okay. Vinay Prasad's observation and thoughts, my Substack. And basically it showed the point estimate and it went from like 0.74 to like 1.05. Right. And it said, this is masking. See, it's compatible with the benefit. But then I said, I'm sorry, it's actually not masking. It's autologous stem cell transplant for women with breast cancer which is a debunked, like it's a practice we actually all agree is debunked. We don't do it. But the confidence interval is actually, if anything- Basically are, the same. Basically better, the same. better, you tighter. Could, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> it's tighter and in a more positive direction. Although it's kind of tough to compare. But anyway, right, right, point right, well taken. Right. It, you know, you can't, yeah. right. So, okay, that's one. The second thing is I showed the confidence interval of ivermectin in the pooled meta-analytic estimate and this, and it also spans one, which means that's null, and it has some favorable values. Um, and so my point is that if you're going to get there and get to say the Cochrane review of masks doesn't show masks don't work, the absence of evidence is not evidence of absence, and masks could work, we just need more studies. Right. Then those ivermectin people get to say the exact same thing. Get to say the thing. same thing. And that's exactly what they have been saying. That's what they, yeah. here's what I would say, because mm. I disagree with both of these people. Right. When there's a pandemic, when there's cancer, when there's heart disease, well, no matter what it is, you get some time. You say, I believe in ivermectin. I believe in masking toddlers. I believe in uh, ramucirumab, whatever you believe in. I give you some time. That time is you run a study and prove to me it works. And if you don't prove to me it works, and one year goes by and two years goes by, and you still haven't proven to me it works, and you have a wide conference interval and all this stuff, and you run all these studies and it didn't prove to me it works, and you want to say, well, it would just give me a few more tries. I'd say, no, time's up. Yeah. Take your bullshit yeah. and shove it up your ass. Yeah. I mean, and so the ivermectin people who believe in it and they keep pointing out that whatever, one of the trials, they didn't dose it right. They didn't give it early yeah, enough. Yeah, yeah. And the mask people keep saying, well, the mask trial would have been positive. They wore it more, right, wore it tighter. Right, right. They, all, the, ha they all have excuses. All have excuses. It's basically like the cold fusion of medicine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, both they're these chasing things. the dragon. They're chasing the dragon. It's like, but, 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 And I'm like, but, 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 if you think it works and it works so wonderfully, like you both think masks are so great and ivermectin is so great, it shouldn't be so hard for you to prove under what circumstances it works. But guess what? You never done that. You haven't done you it. You never done that. And, and the Suspicion then, because of the fact that they even did try and the direction is not good, yeah. that it's not gonna happen. Yeah, and then the other thing is, that's what a bottom line is, like most things in medicine don't work. They don't. Most wide conference intervals mean they don't work. Yep. And you know, who are you fooling? But I do think there is an inconsistency. The mask and ivermectin people are in the same boat. Yeah. And so however you talk about one, you gotta talk about the other. Yeah. And I talk about them the same. Yeah. Failed strategies. Right, right, right. Well, that, and, and that, the, see, <sighs> that again is like, how do you transcend the political badgery and the bias of the moral palate? And the way you do it is by looking dispassionately at it, but then also recognizing your own bias. Like you'll always say, listen, I'm a progressive, here's my bias, mm -hmm. and yet here's what I see. And my, my passion is studying evidence in medicine and critical thinking, and we're not doing it for these reasons, right? And we can maybe make mistakes here and there about maybe falling to one bias or another, but then recognize it and try to adjust. But this, that's not what we see out in the world. What we see out in the world is someone will just say, okay, this is, they don't even know it's their bias, but they're like, I like what this guy's saying and he's smart. And then everybody else is dumb and wrong. Yeah. And then it just becomes what we see, which is, well, you just haven't studied enough. Or, yeah, I mean, dude. And how many trials you want before you throw in the towel, man? Well, with masking, not enough trials. They still haven't even like, have they done a proper- uh, So that's the next part of the yeah. Rochelle. I'm glad you brought it up. So then yeah. she gets in front of Congress and they're like, oh, why didn't you do any studies in masking? Even oh, when you're yeah, masking two, you know, two-year-olds. And <laughs> um, and then they also asked her recently, like, why are you still masking two-year-olds? That's still your guidance. Yeah. And she said, our guidance doesn't change. 
and then he's like, but even though most kids have already had COVID, our guidance doesn't change. I was like, if you don't change your guidance after you've already had COVID, you're pretty stupid. If you ask me, I mean, what wow. are you, what, I mean, the, and then to your point, the patient has died. The guidance doesn't change. Just <laughs> yeah. still wear them. The, the guidance doesn't change. Like, Make sure on. the embalmer hands off the mask at the, I mean, come I on. I was like pushing somebody through the hallways with the intubated. And they had a mask on. They put the mask on. Of back. course. <laughs> Over the ET tube. Over the ET tube. Like, Let's see. Okay. okay. Actually, what you're pointing at, this is important. This is important. So people may say, well, look, Rochelle's being safe. You know, the, 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 the CDC has got to give this kind of blanket thing because people are going to be dumbasses and not do what she says anyway. So she's got to be as broad as possible. But it has consequences. People have become clinically insane. Yes, right. Clinically this is the insane. problem. Yes. They're masking their infant. They're doing crazy shit. Crazy they're, shit. They're, 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 they're fearful of other human beings, which is not a recipe for a fulfilled, happy, fucking dis- mental health balanced life. It's just not. It's not. Like when we look at people that you look on the news who've like shot up a school or some shit, people will say, yeah, they were a little off. They never really quite meshed with other people. There was something going on. So now we've institutionalized that kind of behavior by making <laughs> people afraid. I mean, I'm being hyperbolic. Yeah, I was gonna say, you're trying to, I'm telling a story. To tell a story. But, but, but your point is, okay, short of that. Yeah. Okay, but you'll still, you could, you could argue that, um, Mental health is in crisis and it's, it's not good for their mental health. Look at little girls, like kids. I, I we're know. seeing, I mean, that data is kind of hard to refute. You could go, well, I mean, I'm sure someone could refute some of it. They were seeing this mental health crisis in young girls, but there are more attempts to suicide. They're showing up in ER. ERs are in crisis because they're having to house people in the halls that are having these attempts and so on. There's more anxiety and all of this. And these are not dumb kids. Like Gen Z is pretty wise. I mean, these kids were screwed over. I mean- yeah, They were screwed. They're screwed. And so yeah. Like, okay. And, and, but back yeah. to the Rolensky. Yeah. Okay. Then she's so said, who's screwing them, right? Yeah. No, she's. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think she's terrible. I saw somebody tweet like, "Oh, her answers from the Congress shows how smart she is," and I was like, "Oh, Jesus Christ!" I was like, "I was like, if she's really smart, that makes it even worse. Like, she knows better. She knows better." So yeah. then the next thing the Congressperson asked, like, "Why don't you do randomized trials?" And her answer was, "You can only do a randomized study if there's equipoise." Mm. And by the way, if people want to know more about that. They should listen to the Sensible, Sensible Medicine, Medicine podcast. The last episode on Sensible Medicine yeah. podcast is on the iTunes Store. Yeah. You know, six of us discuss what equipoise is. But she said you could only do a randomized control trial if there's equipoise. There was no equipoise because I know it works. The problem with that is one: there's many problems with that. One, they did three randomized trials. So for her to say there's no equipoise, then how do you explain the fact three randomized trials were done which require equipoise? Two, Cochrane is saying, we don't know. And the conclusion of Cochrane says, we need more randomized trials. Yeah. That's equipoise. Three, equipoise is defined as experts across a field disagree. So you got people like Jay Bhattacharya, you got people like me, you got people like her. And then the, fa- and the, and the fact that we disagree, there's the equipoise. And the fact that I'm even asking the question and the fact that Congress like disagrees, there's the equipoise is there. Michael Osterholm was saying that ma- ma- yes. public even Michael, is, yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it's there. I, I think the definition of equipoise was in place right yes, there. Yes, right, right. So this is, uh, again, I, I, this is kind of wishful political thinking. Yeah. You know, and I know I know nothing about Rochelle Walensky. I'll say that people I know who know her say, she's, say she's, nice she's very nice, and very smart, smart, and very, smart. very talented. Very smart. And, yes. They always say that. <laughs> no one ever says that about me. So I'll say she has that on me, you know? They're like, he's bald. At some point, there was a dichotomous decision to become bald. You know, I guess to back the smartest broader thing, maybe this is, most people in the academy are smart. Yes. But anyone who chooses to get a position like hers is also political. Ambitious, yeah. She was even to be section chief of ID at MGH's political ambition. Yeah. And I've never known anybody who's political who can be truly honest. 
<laughs> They're all you, you're, lying. You're absolutely right. Not, I have said this before. I've said anyone who wants to be president shouldn't be. Shouldn't be. They should be forbidden from it. <clears throat> for the it should, the mere ambition of it means that you're willing to do what it takes, and what it takes is not being fully authentically honest. Also, not being fully authentically you in the sense that you're being you and that you're a dishonest piece of shit that has right. high ambition. But you, you're not. You're what your real beliefs are. To almost don't matter. I think I, t I totally agree with you. Like that's the way it is. I think like, I wonder if there's a way it could be solved. Like, mm. like why are they dishonest? Why mm. would you go up there and say like, there's no equipoise when like, if you have an ounce of intelligence, you know, that's clearly bullshit. Right. I mean, you don't have to be that smart to know right. that's wrong. Um, so what if nuance and honesty were rewarded by the public in political spheres? Well, I think, here's what I think. I think she believes that, that she has to be, mm, you know, yeah. unwavering. Right. And that helps her. Right. But that's a belief that she's pulling out of her ass. Mm. Like if she really were just brutally honest the whole time, I bet her popularity would be oh, really be skyrocketing. high. Skyrocketing. You know, yeah. and, and I've and all politicians, like I bet they've never even tried. You know, I always see them, I always get I, one of the questions that I always get asked that I really get irritated by is like, why, why should you know you get you have low polling numbers in some demographic category, right? Why why should these people vote for you? And then they're like, well, you know, it's got to, it's up to, you know, they have some stupid answer. Bullshit answer. But I guess like, I'm like, I don't know. They, why can't they just answer just be, these are my platform positions. I've already spelled out what I'm doing, all the things. Yeah. And if you really think that this is shitty, you shouldn't. Shouldn't vote for you me. You shouldn't vote for shouldn't me. Vote for you me. should vote for that guy. Yeah. Because we should be in a country where if the majority of you moron, no, whatever. Yeah. You can say, the majority <laughs> right. of you think that that's the better plan, you should totally vote for them. Yeah. If you don't see the wisdom of what I'm offering, this is what I'm offering. Yeah. We are a Denny's. We serve Grand Slam breakfasts. If you if you want sushi, don't go to a Denny's. Okay, they just say that. You want moons over my hammy? You're in the right place. <laughs> You're in the right, You're in the right place. place. Vote You're for me three right times. Place. Exactly. Well, you know, and I think I think I'm gonna defend. <laughs> I'll defend Rochelle's position. <laughs> <laughs> moons over a hammy was a shit, dude. I used to go to like Denny's. Two ninety nine. This is what we used to do. We used to go to Denny's because my my roommates in college. And that was a classy restaurant oh, in uh, Clovis. So, oh, Clovis. But then when I was in Berkeley, oh, okay, okay. I pulled my classiness <laughs> over to the to the north to the bay. Yeah. And um. My roommates that I lived with were all like, they used to smoke cigarettes and stuff. And so mm -hmm. Denny's was one of the last restaurants that, that had a smoking smoke. section. So we would go there, we would <clears throat> just order a coffee. They would sit and smoke cigarettes and we would study. And uh, mm -hmm. it was, and then every now and again, I'd, I'd break down and I'd order a Moons over my hammy. It was like $3.85 and, and it had so much shit on it. It was, and, and to this day, bringing the secondhand smoke, eating those fucking eggs and fat and butter together, oxidize the lipid particles. I probably have plaque purely due to Denny's <laughs> smoking section. Um, when, when, when I was growing up in Indiana, in high school, we would go to Denny's. Oh, hell yeah. Was full, the, whole, the whole restaurant was a smoking section. That's true. Who are we kidding? Yeah, and my, let's be honest. And my friend, my friend would always get like chicken tenders or chicken nuggets, whatever the hell it was. <laughs> and then he's like, a bowl of ranch dipping sauce. Oh, And the ratio really of ranch to chicken nugget was really suboptimal. And oh. then uh, he finally admitted that it's really a ranch delivery device. <laughs> Holy shit, I used to refer to uh, French fries as a ketchup shuttle. A ketchup That's shuttle. That's really what it was, because I didn't care delivery. about the, I just loved the, the taste ketchup. of ketchup, the tanginess and the right. sweetness and the tomatoness, and it would make me hemiperspire on half of my balding head. It was hemiperspire? Like, hemiperspire. Horner syndrome. A what syndrome? Horner syndrome. That's what, it's almost like a Horner syndrome. <laughs> yeah, like, I actually have it. Like if I eat anything, if I even think about vinegar, I'll break out in a sweat over half of my my brain. Mm. Like I'm wired, like the salivary gland wiring got miswired to my perspiration glands. It's, I was a freak. I remember I was 16 going on a date and I, and I was eating a hot dog and I had ketchup on it because it's a hot dog date. And, uh, and I just started like, 
matting my hair on this side because I had hair in those days. And she was like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, something I need to confess. I have a fucking problem. Like, <laughs> like I'm a freak. Like when I eat ketchup, I hemiperspire. It's very weird. Look here, I'll take a napkin and half of it was like moist. Wow. And she's like, you know, I can live with that. And I'm like, okay, this date can continue. That was a kind of- I mean, the fact she still sat with you, the hot dog was like- <laughs> <laughs> and wiener schnitzel. Was right. that a, no, I don't know. It might've been. I don't remember. So, so back to Rochelle though, I think her position is tough. If I defend the position she's in, if she <laughs> were actually the type of person behaving the way that you advocate, which I advocate as well, don't you think Biden and everybody else would have said, okay, enough of that. You're, you're gone. Mm. Because they can't tolerate that kind of honesty. I guess in my worldview, even they should be honest too. Well, yeah, I mean, it ought to be applying I guess, I don't everyone. know, to be honest with you, like if you're Biden, I don't see what, I don't know, people are always like, oh, like they want to push these vaccines to make all this money. And, you know, part of me is like, and I and I guess the part I'm agree with everyone is like, having a yearly or bi-yearly vaccine in ultra low risk population for people who've had COVID is pretty fucking stupid. Unless yeah. you do randomized trials to prove that it works, okay? Yeah. So that's my point of view. That's a, just a clear medical point of view. Yeah. Yet it does appear to me that they want to do that. Yeah. Okay, but then people like, but then even I don't fully understand the motivation because they're like, oh, it's about the money. And I was like, yeah, but we're talking about like $50 billion. You know, the budget of this country? I was like, it's like, it's a fucking crumb. Like they don't, yeah. it's 50 billion, it's nothing. It's yeah. nothing. And so I guess what I don't understand about the Biden administration at all is, and it would have been good for him politically and good for him medically to come into office and say, look, we've been dealing with this pandemic for eight months. Uh, what's going to happen is this. We're going to vaccinate as many people who want to be vaccinated. Yep. We're going to really try to focus our marketing efforts and our, you know, our, I don't know, education, education efforts, efforts yeah. on older people and yep. people with medical problems yep. and people who haven't had the virus. Yep. If you've had the virus, you know, we'll ask Pfizer to do a randomized trial on that population to get some more data. Right. But we're not going to waste our fucking breath on you. Yeah. And we're not going to go after the school kids. We don't have to go after five. I mean, we can we'll run the trials. We'll let them run and mature, see what goes on. We don't have to worry about all that. We're just going to focus on the elderly. And then we're going to tell you this. Look, once you get the vaccine, it's as good as it's going to get. Like, will you get COVID? I don't know. You might get COVID. I'm sorry about that. By the way, the last administration should have made Pfizer do random testing so we'd have some data on transmissibility. Mm. They didn't do that. Okay, if you get COVID, you get COVID. But here's the thing. Realistically, this is as good as it's going to get for the next 10 years. You got to get back to life. And that's what we're all going to do. We're not going to be paying for free tests. It's pointless to test. It's all wasting our time. We're just going to vaccinate and move the fuck on. And we got to get back to life. Already pausing society for one year. It was already an unprecedented experiment. It was crazy. School has to reopen immediately. You know, they, they only wanted to reopen for younger kids, not high school kids. Yeah. So I guess that would have been politically, I think, yeah. so popular. Yeah, and medically correct. And medically correct. And it's kind of what we were saying, right? Well, it's we what Jay was saying. That. It's what we were saying. It's like, you know. But what, who do but, they? <laughs> I mean, do they have a lot of like, anyway. I, I don't, I really don't get it. And I actually think they do believe some of the nonsense that they're saying. Yes, I, mean, I think maybe they're just yeah, not they, so smart. They conditioned themselves. Well, then back to the point that I don't think she's smart. Right. Okay, so well, then Got it. Got it. her not being smart is more parsimonious explanation. <laughs> That's true. It's, a, it's the simplest thing. It's I'm same. saying nothing about that. I have no idea. Smart or not smart, but, but I- But none of them are smart. I mean- I'll say the behavior is not good. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, I even go back like the, the, I don't know, the way in which they even pick these people. Like, you know, they're not picking these people because they are really- Right, yes, exactly. Yeah, it's anyway. it's the people who, and it's the people who also wanna do that job. Like if you told me tomorrow, hey Z, you wanna head up HHS or CDC? I'd be like, yeah, do you wanna just give me a- Just kick me in the nuts just, right yeah, now. <laughs> just, punch me just right, keep kicking them. Punch me right in the perineum. <laughs> like, cause I, I don't want it. I, well, you know, that's an interesting paradox because 
they need to work on that too. Because yeah. I, I definitely agree with you that these are some thankless jobs. But it should be an, it should be something you really would want. It should be something you, you want. Because you can do good in the world, yeah. Yeah, they need to work on that. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, the whole system is kind of intertwined in but a way. But then the other thing is you also have like, part of why you feel that way is you have a nice job now. Yeah, my job is to basically sit and talk to you. Um, Whomever you want. Chill out, meditate, you know, complain. It's just great. Yeah. It's actually the perfect job in many ways for me. It's the only job I could do. Well, I feel the same way about, you know, there's somebody- What you're doing, yeah. Somebody put this thing out, was like, um, would you do your job for zero money? And I was like, well, I always build the assumption is let's assume that you are like, you have a bank account with $50 million or $20 yeah. million, or whatever, yeah. the, whatever yeah. that number is to make you feel like I'm not gonna be hungry. Yeah. 5 million, 1 million, I don't know. Whatever it is. Whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. You have that money. What would you do tomorrow? I think the vast majority of Americans just quit their job. Totally, instantly. Um, but I really think I would do very little differently. I would not change a single thing. On You know, the only thing I would change is I would remove all the ads from all my videos. Like I would just, huh. I would take make all that out. Totally. I would make my supporter groups completely free. Like whoever wants to be in those groups. But you know, I wonder if people actually derive a benefit from giving. A little bit. Yes, yes. Just like an allegiance thing. Yes, oh Just yeah. like when you go to temple, you put some money on totally. it. Totally. You know, you know, and there, you can't deny the connection that happens with that. Yeah. I have some people who support our show like with, with quite a bit of money. They'll, they'll send me a thing on PayPal. And I'm just shocked at like the amount. I'm like, why? And they'll explain in an email. They'll well, say, I, yeah. yeah, they'll say the conversation you had with Vinay or the yeah, thing yeah. you did with so-and-so was so important that I just feel like I'm sitting on this money and I need it to actually go to something that I think I care about. And yeah. I'm like, wow, it's deeply grateful and all that. Yeah, um, go back to what else would you do differently in your life? I'm curious. So yeah, so I'd get rid of those monetization <laughs> issues and yeah. I'd stop worrying about that. I would probably- would you buy a new car? Uh, you know, I wouldn't. I, I like my- Toyota Camry piece of shit, piece of shit 2012 wow. ratchety because 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 the because I could buy a new car now. Would you buy a new guitar? Yeah, I might. What I might get, get more guitars. Like I just get some different things. I might get a bass. I might get a really oh. nice bass guitar and start learning how to new slap amp. the bass. But to be honest, the, the thing that's holding you from getting that is not money because you could get it right now. If it's you want. time. I see. Yeah, it's like all there's all the stuff I want to do and 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 there's that's not enough time. So I'm not even sure I would, would do you buy that. a new house. Probably not. I'm, I'd go on more trips, like abroad, because I, and I would spend money on those trips. Like, I'd but be what's like, the barrier to you doing that now? Um, it, Time? There, yeah, I don't think I would even do that. See, so yeah, I, mean, pretty, you, I mean, on questioning, it's kind of like, yeah, there's really no, we're doing it. And we're gonna go to Japan this summer. I see, I feel like I would take Uber more often. <laughs> oh, I would do that. I would do that. That's true, I that's like, true. I was like, $75, no, yeah. I'll just no way. take the bus, I, I, I'll, I'll just walk. I'll I would just... be equally cheap if I had $50 million in my bank account, I think. I guess maybe I'll I'm just. I'm just so conditioned. I guess in terms of work- but The I thing is, do you need to work for money? I guess that's the question. Yeah, no, I guess- what that, would you change? Yeah. Oh, okay, right. Yeah, right. your work. Okay, so I, we've shifted to your life, bro. Right, okay, right, right. But what would change about your work? Uh, not much. I teach some classes. I like to do that. Yeah. I give lectures. Me too. I would do more teaching. and give a lecture. I mean, maybe, no, I don't know. I guess uh, the lectures I give, I, the ones I try to like, I already decided to not give the ones I don't want to give. Right. I've already made some of these choices. Like I'm not yeah. going to do shit I don't want to do. Right. Um, I guess to be honest, probably the one thing that maybe would be different is like right now, my research group, we live off soft, I mean, soft money group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. every three years, and right now we're in that period. Oh, you got to go fundraise. Yeah, or, or, or like write grants or right. fundraise or mm -hmm. think about how to do it. And it is stressful. Yeah. It's not stressful because me as much is stressful like, cause you know, I have like employees and stuff. Yeah, and yeah. Like, responsible to a team. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so so that's something. Yeah, that's something. Yeah. yeah. So you could easily kind Fund of peel that research off. research group. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know what I would do is I would, <clears throat> one thing I would do is, well, I know, you know, I gotta be honest. I have been yeah. doing exactly what I want to do. Have you noticed I put out barely any videos? Like I'll put out like two videos a, a month mm. because I'm not, if I don't feel it, I just don't do it. That's good. And like, that's, well, that's a revenue hit if you're making ad revenue or whatever, but I don't care because I just don't care. Nice. You're and, already pretty close. Yeah. So I'm already I'm, pretty close. I like clinic. I like teaching. Yep, yep. I like service. I yep. like you know, Substack writing and I yeah. like paper writing. All right. Yeah. I also, yeah. Let's get lunch. Oh yeah, we got to go to lunch. Last thing I'll say is I like uh, sitting on uh, silent meditation retreats. I did a virtual one in January. Really? Yeah. It, and you would think that wouldn't work, but it worked beautifully. Five days, Zoom meditation where everybody's little windows open and they're all just like, eyes are closed and they're sitting there, but there's something about the shared intention. Someday in my life, I'm going to try this. Oh, you will shit your pants. It'll be so good. Literally? Literally. <laughs> We were just talking about, we started the whole show kind of having this offline conversation about why is it that smart people get always bored. have to do, get bored, have to do something. And so take that smart person, put them in a silent meditation retreat but and bored. Ah, well, watch what happens. And I won't mm -hmm. tell you what happens because it can be different for everybody, but you may be absolutely amazed with the shock and awe that happens in the stillness of this moment mm -hmm. that is more fascinating than anything any intellectual pursuit you could pursue in the relative world. Really? Um, and, and, and then they support each other. They kind of like are mutually integrated experiences. So I don't know, at some point I'll drag you to one of these. You're things. a big salesman for sitting silently. <laughs> I'm a salesman for doing nothing. And so, yeah. <laughs> All right. All right, speaking of doing nothing, let's go eat. Let's go eat, that's right. All right, thanks All right. guys. I love you. Uh, hit subscribe. Yeah. All the links are here. Sensible um, Medicine. Sensible Medicine. It's what's the what's the website for that? It's uh, sensiblemedicine.substack.com. Dot com. And then the podcast Sensible Medicine is on the iTunes store. They should leave a review and listen. Yep. And actually, you know, subscribe to that. Subscribe to that and ours as well. And mm -hmm. also the Z Dog MD show and also Plenary Session. Yeah. And so search uh, and search and subscribe. I'm on YouTube too. YouTube That's where I put too. my COVID videos on YouTube. Vinay oh right, yeah, yeah. Vinay You're Prasad. big on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I both of the, us I on got YouTube. A plaque. Yeah, you got a plaque, dude. It took him like a minute to get a plaque. plaque. It took me 10 years to get a plaque. <laughs> no, it didn't take 10 years. Oh God, dude, it was bad. It was bad. You're like a wunderkind, my friend. All right, guys, we're out. Peace.